As we come to the word this morning, let's come with prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we we stand before your word and the vision of Isaiah. God, help us to even catch a piece of the awe that, that Isaiah felt. For we know you are with us. We know by the promises of your word that as we gather in your name, as we come to this table, you are here. And you're, you are knowing our hearts and minds. God, guide our hearts and minds. Guide my words. Guide all of our hearts and minds as we come to your word. For we love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture this morning comes from the, the great prophet, the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 6, the first eight verses. Listen to the word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Amen and amen. This is the last of six weeks of looking at the qualities of resilient disciples of Jesus Christ living in in exile in a culture of what we call digital Babylon. And five of the six qualities come from a book by a man named David Kinneman called Faith for Exiles that I, I highly recommend. And the author is the head of the Barna Group, which keeps their pulse on culture and, and faith. But each one of these qualities are, are the Christian answers to today's hard questions that everyone needs to ask themselves those nagging questions, and, and each culture has to, 
have its own answers to these questions, their own response to them. And we've looked at some of those responses. We'll look back at all those questions and, and the different responses, the responses from the world, sometimes the responses from an unhealthy religiosity, and, and that the responses that we've been leaning into, the responses of biblical faith. And now we're at the last question. Today's hard question is this. What is the significance of life? What am I doing here? What kind of legacy am I leaving? I don't, I don't know how much I've told you of my own faith story, but that is the question that led me personally to faith. And honestly, it's kept me going the same question deeper and deeper in faith ever since then. I didn't grow up in a family of faith, and in sixth grade, it was this question that struck me like a ton of bricks. And I walked around for two weeks as the sixth grader at Lincoln Junior High in, in, in uh, Newport Beach, California, with my head in the clouds, just asking myself this question and just wondering if anyone had answers and wondering why wasn't everyone asking themselves this question. And, and I had an image of my head that of, of, of a grasshopper, of a tiny little grasshopper in this intricate life. And yet, as we walk around in the world, we would step on that grasshopper and that life would be gone without a second thought to ourselves. And, and what's the purpose of that, that life? And I thought, what about me? What about us? What are we doing here? What's the, what's the purpose? What's this all for? And it's the meaning of life I was looking for. Well, at the end of that two weeks, I got kind of tired of having my head in the clouds, and I uh, had a sleepover one night with my friend Alan Barron, and I, I unloaded on him. And I remember the look of just dazed confusion in his eyes, like, what are you thinking about, dude? And, uh, and I said, okay, I just need to put this in my back pocket and keep my eyes and ears open. And I started a search that eventually led me to St. Andrew's Confirmation class, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, a great church still in, in Newport. Um, and I went to the confirmation class, not because my parents wanted me to, but because my grandmother wanted me to. Uh, and I learned about Jesus Christ and, and my journey with him and relationship with him began. But it all started with that question. And that's still the question that every one of us, whether we're in a church or wherever we are, we all need to ask ourselves, what are we doing here? What is the significance of life? Now, the answer to this question in our culture has led us ultimately to being a culture that really focuses on our own self-centeredness and entitlement. And it's a, it's a simple path there. Our founding fathers made, I, rightly, I think, the most broad statement of the great pursuit of life. In just a few year words, they said it so well that we are all entitled, entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, 
liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And it, it gives us the freedom to pursue the answers to the hardest questions. But in a, in a culture that presumes the existence of God, life and liberty have a source and they have a purpose that we are made by God and given freedom through his love and his grace. We'll come back to that. But in a culture that no longer presumes the, in, the existence of God, life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness have a very different look. More, they are more likely pursuits focused on self, focused on ourselves. These are things that we are owed, owed by the world and by other people, and achieved ultimately by the fulfillment of our own desires. Who else? There's no God directing or calling, so we teach our kids that they can do anything that they want to do and be anything that they want to be, as oftentimes as unrealistic as that may be. Uh, years ago in Pittsburgh, we uh, had a, a kids in our neighborhood, and, and um, Josh, one of the kids, uh, I remember he was about ninth or tenth grade. He was, um, you know, moving from that childhood into young adulthood, and he just had this passion to be the next Michael Jordan. And on one hand, um, he'd never dribbled the basketball. And uh, on the other hand, really, there's only one to begin with. Uh, and yet we, we let kids just, you know, de we deify our desires. We put our wishes ahead of everything in our lives. And we make them the great pursuit of everything. And it all comes out looking like a culture of entitlement and, and self-centeredness. Now, don't think that we Christians are, are free from this. We swim in the water and, and too often simply tack on a God, logo, a God logo to our desires. We want the wealth, the, the worldly security, a, a life of comfort. We want to be right. We want to be better. We want to be self-satisfied. And we can be as self-centered and, and entitled as anyone. The health and wealth gospel simply names this entitlement the promise of God. But there's another way. There's a whole different way. Isaiah is known as the great prophet of the Old Testament. And by virtue of that status, he should be feeling more entitled than anyone. Instead, he has all his entitlement and self-centeredness knocked out of him. And it comes in a moment. It comes in a single experience. It comes the moment he has an experience of the holiness of God, of God's presence. He sees God. And Isaiah, when he sees the majesty and holiness of God, he falls in worship. And his first expression of worship in response to God's holiness is, is confession and an experience of God's pardon. Woe is me, I am lost, he says. 
And we see this expression of life with God throughout the New Testament as well. John the Baptist says, we must decrease so that Jesus can increase. Jesus says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And he goes on to say, the blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. All entitlement is lost in the glory of God's holiness. And all self-centeredness is is blown away like chaff. It's why the first thing that we do every Sunday when we begin worship, after we acknowledge God's presence and His holiness, His goodness, is we come with our confession. We humble ourselves and recognize that we are only here by the grace of God. We have no entitlement in this place. There's so much else that also comes with this experience of and love for God. A strong belief in God's work in the world comes with it. He's not distant and uninvolved, not when you have seen him like like Isaiah saw him. He's here in our lives. He's working in this world, working for his purposes. Along with that comes a conviction that there is a supernatural dimension. What we know with our senses is not all that there is. There is a dimension with principalities and powers at work. And and beyond it and above it all, God actively working redemption. And finally, resilient disciples have a sense of mission. The more I meditate on the qualities of resilient discipleship, the more I see that they are all contingent on that first quality. Remember where we began weeks ago, the first quality, a love for God at the core of our souls. It all begins there. That quality leads to this one, this one, this missional quality, a love for others. We've talked about loving each other within the church with intergenerational relationships as a key quality of discipleship in the 21st century. But this week, we're going to focus on our love for others, our service to others outside of the church in what we call countercultural or cross-cultural mission. This love for others is the opposite expression of of self-centeredness and entitlement. It's love. The next thing that happens in Isaiah, God, God calls for someone to go. In Isaiah, it's to go from the throne room, high and lifted up. Who would want to leave there? But he needs to go to the people. Who will go? People, these are people who aren't going to understand. They're not going to get it. But go to them nevertheless. And tell them of God and all his glory and his grace. It, it, it is so very clearly a selfless mission. Job, task, purpose. It's not a job that is going to bring Isaiah any comfort or security or affirmation. But there's a higher purpose in it than that. He's on a mission from God. Resilient disciples have a mission. Something to live for, to work for and even to die for, to give ourselves for. And it's more worthwhile than any comfort or entitlement that we could possibly ever seek for ourselves. It is for the glory 
of God. And you can see what is so fundamentally cross-cultural about this. It's a whole different understanding of the source of value in life. It, it faces all the most difficult questions of life and, and has a different answer. It's not concerned with ourselves, but is fueled by participating in God's mission, the mission of redemption. And resilient disciples want to serve that mission and even sacrifice for others. In a world where the stream is, is flowing the other direction, it takes strength and practice and, and work to learn to live upstream, to learn to swim upstream, to be selfless in a self-centered world, to be last in a world of entitlement. It's so easy to be engulfed in the things that we desire instead of honing our desires to be from the very heart of God's desires and work. Kinneman writes, as Christians, whatever our age, we have to practice a countercultural level, a countercultural mission on this level. We have to curb our sense of entitlement. To do that, we've got to develop the muscles of sacrifice and service. The scriptures point the way. We must decrease so that Jesus can increase. Kinnaman goes on to describe some of the things that it's going to take to, to move us out of our self-entitlement and, self, and to be and to self-sacrifice, to true service to others in this countercultural mission. First of all, he says we need to make prayer a mission. We're going to spend some time focusing on prayer after Easter. As we move into visioning, our visioning season of, for our congregation, the first thing that we're going to all need to do is look together to God and, and work together calling on Him to lead us and listening together for that leading. Prayer is the, a, a key first element to being people on a mission. Kinnaman goes on to another, other ingredients of moving, moving from entitled to serving. He says, to be faithful and holy, to be fruitful, to live for the sake of others, to be wary and realistic, but also hopeful, to take epic risks and do what is right, to realize that God is at work for good, even in exile, and find our home in God. Find our home in God. I really like this one, particularly when we understand that we live in exile in this world as we await life in the kingdom. Remember, digital Babylon. But our home is the kingdom of heaven. We have a home. For now we live in exile. But Kinnaman describes this life this way. Being in exile is a high and ultimately rewarding calling. There is beauty in exile. To live as God's people, to follow His Son through the power of His Spirit requires us to choose. Going along just won't do. The conditions of exile invite each of us each day to choose 
whom we will serve. A little bit of Joshua. And among the most important virtues of this cross-cultural mission is courage. Courage. Exile's not safe. Difficult conversations are not safe. Not just with those outside the church, but oftentimes with those inside the church. But we need to not be afraid. Not just to tell people what we think they need to hear, but especially courageous to listen. And not be afraid to hear all that's out there and entrust it all to our God who is living and active. We need to not be afraid, even though so much of what we will hear and come to know is so hard, so much brokenness to bear. But we know what to do with that brokenness. And finally, we need to lead with love. Start with love. To learn to be friends across differences. To experience empathy for people in their experience and their suffering. That we may, that may be so different from ours. The end, the end goal is not to make others just like us. But to invite them into a relationship with Jesus who saves. And Jesus knows exactly where they are at. And loves them. And, and they are seen and known by him and he invites us to see and know people and participate in his work of redemptive love for them we are engaged in cross-cultural mission right here at home i was uh i was so i was trying to think of someone who i know who characterizes this heart this heart for others that puts others before himself and boldly walks through parts of the world that are terrifying to some of us with a heart for Christ and a call to serve him. And I thought of Reuben, our youth director. And so I'm going to say something about him because he's not here this morning to be embarrassed or defend himself. Reuben loves Jesus so deeply that he loves everyone else as well. And including and especially your kids and the young adults of this church. But you've seen him. He also loves heavy metal music. And it's a world he walks in very comfortably and naturally. He went to a concert a couple of weeks ago. He told me about and had a, an interesting experience. He struck up a conversation with someone and he befriended them so that they hung out between the sets of the concert and, and got something to eat together. And the person, you can imagine this conversation, the pers person asked what Reuben does. And, and with that big Reuben enthusiasm, he told them that he's a youth director at the church, looking to be a pastor. Well, that was a surprise. But it wasn't a hiccup. Because that person already knew in a few short minutes... Reuben's heart for them and care for them. My first thought was to describe Reuben as having one foot in the gospel and the other foot in the world, but I knew that wasn't right. That wasn't a good way to describe him. I'd say that he has both feet planted firmly in the good news of Jesus Christ. And the fullness of his heart extends to places in the world that others would fear to go. 
including me, but he helps me out a lot with that. We come to the end of a series on being a 21st century resilient disciple of Jesus living in exile in digital Babylon. Our first week, we, asked, we addressed the identity crisis in our world in the life of digital Babylon. It, it's the question everyone has to ask of, who are we really? Who are you? Who am I? It's answered for us by an experience of and love for Jesus. We belong to him. The second week, we address the complexity and the anxiousness of our society that leads to the question of, how should I live? What, 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 what can I do? And, and, and we looked at cultural discernment and, and seeing our place in the world. We carry the gospel perspective on everything and on our place in the world. The third week, the third week we addressed the isolation and mistrust of our society today that leads to the question of whether we are really known and loved by anyone. Is anyone there or am I just truly all alone? And we looked at a call to meaningful intergenerational relationships so that we would not be alone and we would know, we would care that love of God to each other and the love that teaches us we are never alone, but he's always with us. The fourth week, we address the common experience of, in our world of brokenness. The brokenness. How do we bear the brokenness of this world? And the question is, what do we do with our pain, with our fear, with our grief and loss? We go to God. Trusting him, even with our lament, our cries. Last week, we saw the, the motivation and ambition of today's world that leads to the question of what are we supposed to do with our lives? And the answer is the practice of vocational discipleship. The answer, we answer God's call to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not just church on Sunday, everything. And today we deal with the entitlement and self-centeredness of our culture that is also so destructive and leads to so much anxiety and, and loneliness itself. But it leads to the question of the significance of our lives and, and the legacy we are leaving. And we, we come to the practice of countercultural mission, not entitlement, but service. We are here serve others and that that brings God's faithful loving presence into everywhere we go even to the deepest darkest places for Christ has always reached even further into the darkness with his light all of this provides a picture of, of what resilient discipleship looks like in the exile of 21st century Babylon and it's, it, it, it is made up of a, yeek, a unique combination that is at the same time utterly realistic about this world. Feels every ounce of the suffering, bears all the brokenness and sin, gathers 
also, though, every minute piece of beauty, all mixed together with, with complete honesty about it all, but this honest realism combines with hope, utter hope, a pervasive and unendurable hope forged not in our acts or thoughts, but forged in the person and work of Jesus Christ who was and is and is to come. In the next few weeks, as we approach and come to Easter and Holy Week, we are going to focus on Jesus' sufficiency for everything. He's the one who makes all this possible. Utter realism and certain hope come together to make resilient disciples in this world. Today's disciples are equipped to face every truth with a faithful trust in the promises of God. Those two things make me think of Moses and and Joshua's charge to the people of Israel as they face the challenge of entering the promised land. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. Let's pray. Lord, you are with us. And when we see you, when we catch a glimpse of you, even just a hint of a glimpse the way Isaiah saw you, high and lifted up, with the seraphim crying, holy, 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 we, we stand in awe. And when we see you look at us, not with judgment, but with love, with forgiveness and grace, with the, with the work of your Son, we stand before you utterly devoted with everything. And we thank you. God, may that simply be who we are, those who love you so deeply that everything else that makes us a disciple of yours comes along. For Lord, we will follow you. We will be your disciples. And Lord, I I thank you for this this series and the source of it that uh, has given us a vision of what particular characteristics make up a disciple in our, our challenges, our day and age. But Lord, it all comes down to catching the sight of you and your forgiveness, your love, your grace in your son, Jesus Christ, and following you. Guide us. Strengthen us to be your disciples in this place. We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.